So happy Mother's Day, and I just want to say I tucked my shirt in for you today. I'm not sure if you can see that or not, but my mom always said, Kurt, tuck your shirt in. So uh, that's for you today. And you moms, you're probably just kind of glad you're at home today, aren't you? You didn't have to work hard to get anybody in the car, get them dressed, get them to church. You get to have church at home with your family. Uh, That's got to be a happy place for some of you. Uh, For you moms that are old enough to be my mom and that we usually exchange hugs in the commons at church, I just want to say I miss you, and I want to say thank you for being another mom in my life, and I give you a hug over uh, the live stream today, so thank you so much. I got to tell you today, I have a brand new appreciation for moms and for all that you do. I got to watch our granddaughter Trilby this week for three days. Uh, That's why I'm in this easy chair today. She wore me out, and I'm so thankful this morning for Daniel Tiger. Anybody know Daniel Tiger? I'm thankful, man, because I got some breaks that I needed. Um, If it wasn't for Daniel Tiger, I I don't know if I could have made it here today Um, because Daniel Tiger gave me some very needed breaks and probably took more breaks with Daniel than we should have. But, uh, you know, Trilby just ran me ragged. But I learned some great things from Daniel Tiger this week as well, like go potty go, which isn't a bad thing to know when you're reaching my age. You got to know, you know, when to go. Uh, Also, I learned what to do when I'm afraid and being in this time of life. Uh, We kind of have to know that too. Uh, See what it is, you might feel better, you know. I'm sure that some of you moms and kids recognize that phrase stuck in my head over and over again. So preaching will be a breeze this morning compared to my week trying to keep up with Trilby. But then I look at my neighbors, the Vanderveens, who live next door. They've got seven kids, and I watch them, and there's Megan out there with all of her kids and doing a project besides. I don't know how she does it all. But my hat's off to you, Megan, and my hat's off to every mom. Whether you have one kid or whether you have 10 kids, I'm telling you, I have a new respect for you today. Uh, I grew up in a fairly big family, six kids. I was the last of the six. And my mom, she held us together. She held our family together. She was the hub. She kept us centered. She kept us unified. And the thing of it is that it's not something she had to try to do. It was just something that flowed out of her naturally. Because she was a mom, uh, that was what she did. She was unselfish. She was compassionate. She freely gave her time and attention to us. Uh, I was the youngest in my family, and so my sister Jana went to school four years before I did, and I got to spend four glorious years with just me and my mom. Uh, Mom was the broker in our family between us and our father. You know, fathers can be a little tougher than mothers. Uh, She softened the edges of our lives. She was our advocate. She brought that sense of calm. Um, She influenced all seven of us to be unified and to be one and to be together and to kind of come to an agreement uh, with all those different perspectives, all those different personalities that she had to work with. She was the ultimate counselor. You know, she would just bring us back together again. And so mothers, I want to say to you this morning that in your identity, in who you are as a mother is the ability to deeply influence a generation that that people will never be the same people are forged in what you do and what you give into their lives as a mother your nurture your understanding and i can tell you that i am who i am today largely because of some of the influences my mom had in my life now again all of this came not because of some training my mom had had or classes she took, no online um, 
classes or no webinars that she got to learn what to do. But her behavior flowed from her identity and is true for all you moms. That it's because you're moms that you do what comes naturally to mothers. And she was a wonderful example of Christ because in the family of God, uh, she does what Christ did for us. And Christ keeps us unified. Christ keeps us together. Christ keeps us centered. And that's number one in your notes today. Christ keeps us centered. You know, we hear this word thrown around a lot, this word centered. But it's a biblical concept that means really that we're anchored in Christ, that we're tied to him. Uh, Whether it's, you know, our spirit and our mind or whether it's our logic and our emotions, whether it's our physical reality and our spiritual reality, we are centered in Christ. We are anchored to him. What this means is that as a spiritual family with Christ as our head, we're in harmony. We're united in Christ. Now, what this does not mean is that we agree on everything. There's no possible way that we can all agree on everything. But we are in unity about the main thing, or should I say the main person, and that is Jesus Christ. We can get through anything together. We're in this together, and we can get through anything because of the person of Christ. And just like being a mom produces unity, produces nurturing and care, and how in a family she brings out the best in us, so also being in the Christian family produces good things in us. And Christ also brings out the best in us. And that's how a mom is like Christ. She's the hub of the family. Jesus is the hub of our spiritual family. He's the center of our spiritual family. And he brings out the best in him because we trust in him, not necessarily in people, not necessarily in the government, not even in ourselves, but we can trust in Christ to bring out the best in us. For this to work, we, we don't keep identifying with our past. We don't even keep identifying with our pain. And we don't keep identifying with the circumstances of our present. But we keep identifying with Jesus. We are not the sum of our life experiences. We are the sum of Jesus who died for us and Jesus who gave us a new life. And one of the things that I want to talk about today that Jesus died for is that we would, we would be one. We would be unified. In fact, that was one of the main things he died for, other than saving us, was that we would be one. And he prayed this prayer over not just his disciples, but over all of us, even today, even this week, as we experience life, Jesus prayed this prayer for us. Let me read it to you from John 17. He prayed, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And that's us, right? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be one in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. What Jesus is praying for here is our identity. And our identity produces our motivation, and our motivation produces our behavior. You know, the reasons why we do determines what we do. For the Christ follower, here's the question. How can we best love and serve our church? And how can we best love and serve the world? Like we said a few weeks ago, the world is watching us. The world is watching us to see how well we love one another. And the world is watching us to see if we really are one, if we really are unified. So as a church, as a family, a spiritual family, we identify with Christ as our head 
And obviously, his main theme was not self-protection, was it? He proved that on the cross. His main theme was not just to take care of himself as he made his way through 33 years on this planet. No, his main theme was to give himself up. At some point, self-protection becomes selfish. And Jesus was not selfish. He gave himself up for us so that the world might have the opportunity to believe in him and be saved. This is our identity. This is what motivates the church. This is what motivates the church family, and so every Christian. And that is this, that identity comes first, and as we identify or as we stand firmly in Christ and who he is, he will keep us unified as a church. Paul said in Colossians 1.23, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you first heard the good news. In other words, don't let the world and its culture cause you to drift, but keep standing firm in who Jesus is. Stay unified, stay one as a church. Now, we've been talking about the false narrative every week. We've, we've brought you a false narrative that the world believes or the world preaches. And there's a false narrative in our culture that says, if we disagree then we must divide. This is what the enemy of the body of Christ, of the family of Christ, would have us believe. This is the false narrative. The enemy has an agenda for the church, and his agenda is division, and this division is based on fear. As humans, we fear one another's perspectives, and we think that if we disagree, then we must divide, but this is not true for the church. We stay united We stay centered around Christ, even though we don't agree on everything. Now, if you're as old as I am, you probably remember road trips with the family. And I remember road trips with my family. We had a 1961 Ford station wagon. Uh, My dad bought it new when I was born, the year I was born. And we had six kids in our family. And my mom and dad were from Sioux Center, Iowa. That was where their parents landed from Holland. And so road trips to Iowa happened every now and then. Eight people in the car, middle of summer, uh, no AC, no electronics, and all the moms listening today are saying, that sounds a little like hell to me, right? Yeah, it was a little like hell for us as well. And I remember that we played road games because we didn't have electronics to keep us busy. We played I Spy, remember? I Spy with my little I, something that begins with A, right? Or B or C. And we sang a lot, of, a lot of songs. We were like a musical family, so we sang and we harmonized. And there were times where it felt like the you know, Von Trapp family, but, but we, weren't, we weren't that good. We couldn't stay that unified for very long. So we sang a lot of songs. And oftentimes, if not always, our fun and our unity would give way to disagreements. And some of these will sound so familiar to you. Mom, he's touching me. Mom, he's in my space. Mom, he's breathing my air. Mom, he's looking at me. Don't those sound familiar? You probably still hear those things sometimes. And and it's funny, we're still fighting about the same things today, you know, breathing somebody else's air or being in their space, right? We've all been kind of thinking about that these days. But mom would always bring us back. You know, dad would just turn around and try to whack the closest kid. (laughs) It's amazing how he could drive down the freeway and still reach into that third seat, it seemed. But mom kept us centered. Mom kept us in harmony. She'd bring us back. And her goal was that we would reach our destination without permanently injuring 
one another, right? And if we could do that, then that was a success. Mom did it with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, with songs and games, with snacks and potty breaks. Mom just kept us unified. And because I was the car sick kid, I never had to sit in the back. Um, and when I started feeling car sick or getting sleepy, I would just snuggle in to my mom, no seatbelts required, lay my head on her lap, and I would go to sleep. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time to escape my family in the front seat. So the church family, our family as a church, potentially can be very divisive. And that's because we're so incredibly different. It, it can be, it can seem like we're on a road trip without AC or without electronics, can't it? Here we are, one church, but different genders, different ages, different preferences, different worship styles, uh, different doctrine even. Within our church, there are some different leanings about doctrinal issues, and that's okay. Different race, different socioeconomic status, and just about every factor you can imagine is a part of a church like North County, Christ the King. And how we feel about things now that we're in this lockdown, add that to the mix, you know, different perspectives. And it's like we're dumped into not a Ford wagon, but into the Lord wagon. And he says to us, I want you to reach your destination without personally injuring anybody. And I want you to be one. I want you to be unified. I want you to take this road trip together. We're in this together and I want you to stay unified around me. Just like that's a mom's heart for her family, that is even more so the heart of our Savior, Jesus, who died for us that we would be one. So at the end of our life, this is what matters, that we identify with Christ and his desire for oneness for us and that we glorify him in that oneness. Because other than salvation, nothing glorifies Christ more than when the church is unified and the church is one. And that happens because we place our identity firmly in Christ. And that's number two in your notes today. Christ is the identity of the Christian. Christ is the identity of the Christian. You know, just like we identify with you moms and we celebrate you, to, you today, Jesus is our identity as his children. He unifies us. A lot of people focus on differences within the church. And usually what happens when people focus on differences is there's division in the church. But we focus on Christ. There is no other identity worthy of Jesus and his sacrifice. No matter what you lean toward, there's nothing more worthy of Jesus and his sacrifice than identifying in him and his oneness. His death, his resurrection... His ascension and his coming return demands that if we have received him, then we must resemble him. In fact, say that with me today. If I have received him, then I must resemble him. In Colossians 3.11, Paul says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's God's goal for us, that we would become like him and being one is the most like god we can ever be we are the most like christ when we are unifiers not dividers because that's ultimately what he came to do other than saving us from our sin he came to unify us as one body under his headship 
Now, I told you a few minutes ago about the false narrative that if we uh, disagree, we must divide. That's the false narrative. That's the world's narrative. But there's a different narrative that's true of the church, and that's true of the Christian. And here's the narrative. Christ's followers must remain unified, unified around Christ. Now, we are facing so much division today. It's incredible. So many opinions. But it's always been that way for the church. The church has always faced, from the very first century, from the very first church, we've always faced divisions. I have people telling me today to go ahead and just open the doors of the church. People will come, just defy the governor and his orders and open the doors. And then I have a whole group of other people who say, no, the Bible says we have to respect the governor's authority, and so we can't open the doors of the church. And then I have people who want to wear masks, and then I have people who don't want to wear masks. I have people who don't want to breathe their other people's air and people who don't mind. I have people who observe social distancing and, and people who don't. So many different opinions, so many different perspectives, so much opportunity for division. But what matters to Jesus and for the church is that we remain unified in him, that in all these differing perspectives, and they're not wrong. It's okay to not agree on these things. But in all these differing perspectives, we must remain unified around Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, him ascended, and him coming again. Family, don't divide over these worldly and over these cultural things. Even if we disagree, we can still love one another. And that's what a mother wants for her family, right? She wants her family to get from point A to point B without personally injuring anybody. She wants us all to get there safely. And that's what Jesus wants for us today. Jesus wants unity. And he doesn't just want us to get to heaven, but he wants us to get there in a way that glorifies him. So Paul said to the Corinthian church that all that really mattered was Christ. Now, Paul was a smart guy. Paul had been educated. Uh, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And in fact, if, if he were here in our day, he'd probably have a triple PhD or maybe even more. That's how bright and intelligent and educated he was. But when Paul came to the Corinthian church, here's what he said to them in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, when I came to you, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul, who had every reason to boast and be proud in his education and what he knew and, and in his intelligence, Paul chose to say, I'm going to set all of that aside so that I can focus on the one thing that matters, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, the most brilliant spiritual mind of the day, identified not in his pedigree, not in his education, not in his intelligence, but he identified with Christ and he told the church to do the same. In fact, to the Galatian church, he wrote about some of their differences. Galatians 3.28, he said, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither, neither slave nor free. How many of you know those were huge dividers? in the first century church to be a Jew or a Gentile, to be a slave or to be free. In fact, Paul even said, there's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if there was ever, ever anything that was going to divide the church, it was this issue of Jew and Gentile. 
the Jew and the Gentile factor. There was fear, severe fear around this issue. We, we forget this. The early church was birthed with Jews who came to Christ and then Gentiles who were brought into the family. And this came after centuries of battles and division between Jews and Gentiles and not understanding each other, certainly not agreeing each other, with each other. And then they get thrown into not the station wagon of Ford, but the station wagon of Lord. They get thrown in there, and the Jews were the entitled children of God. Many of these Jews still practice the rituals and the laws of Judaism, what to eat and what not to eat. Some of them even believe that you still had to be circumcised. And Paul says, in the midst of all this division, Paul says there's only one thing that matters, and that is this that you are one in Christ Jesus. You're going to have differences. You're going to have different perspectives. You're going to have even different values. You're going to have even different doctrines that you lean toward. But here's what Paul says matters. Receive his love and love one another, for perfect love eliminates fear. Can you say that with me today? Perfect love eliminates fear. As John said in 1 John 4, 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In fact, here's a great measuring stick for us. When we get bound up in fear about other people's perspective or what other people do or the values they hold dear to them, when we get caught up in that fear and we allow that fear to motivate us to our behaviors then the fact of the matter is we've not been perfected in love. And that happens a couple of different ways. One is we've not been perfected in understanding God's love for us. If we really truly believe that God loves us and that God is good in our lives, then we're not going to give way to fear. Now, we'll still stand up for what is right and we'll stand up for the righteous thing. Jesus wants us to do that as well. But that's going to be motivated by love, not motivated by fear. So we're going to be perfected in love. What are some things that uh, fear drives us to today? Well, fear is, are things that we have because you don't agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I fear you. Uh, we might have fear that you believe something a little differently than I do. Or I might fear that what you believe will affect my rights or will affect my well-being or will affect my comfort. You know, there's a lot of things that we fear about other people's behaviors or values And then we identify with those fears, and those fears drive us to behaviors. But Jesus wants us to identify with him, with his love, and with the fact that he wants us to love our neighbor. Jesus wants us to have the Christ identity. That's the identity he wants us to have. What is the Christ identity? Well, four things I want to share with you today. And you should take a screenshot of these four things, and you can talk about them in their small groups. Here they are. The first one is this. Jesus died. That's the first thing. Jesus died, so we die. We die to ourself. We die for the need to live just for our preferences. And instead, we live for the benefit of those we love. In fact, one of the definitions of love that I love is that all that we do and all that we say should benefit those that we love. That's a great definition of love. All that we do and all that we say should benefit those that we love. So the first thing, Jesus died. The second thing, Jesus rose. And because Jesus rose, 
we rise. We rise to new life. We don't think or act the same way that we used to. The old life has passed away. New things have come. We rise above our past. We shed our shame. We don't let shame drive us anymore. We don't live out of our shame, but we we live out of forgiveness. And because we've been forgiven, we can forgive and we let love motivate us. So we rise above um, our shame and then we and then we tie into the fact that Jesus ascended, and so we live in him. You know, we don't just live like him, but we live in him. We no longer live in our own strength. In fact, the Bible says that the very power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the same power he uses, us, he uses to bring us into new life and to live out of the life of Christ. We can't do this in our own power. We can't ever love the way that we should without the power of Jesus in us. And so we allow his love, the resurrection power of Christ, to live in us and to enable us to love beyond fear and to love one another. And then finally, the fourth thing that we want to tie into to be identified in Christ is that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. So we place our hope in his return. No matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what fears, no matter what struggles we're a part of or what we're seeing, we know that all things are going to be all right in the end. In fact, I love what C.S. Lewis said in one of his books. He said, Jesus is going to come and he's going to put things right. He's going to put things right. And one day we're going to be with him and things are going to be right. And so we keep our eyes on him and we keep our hope in Jesus Christ because we know that one day we're going to share his glory. Now, Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 27 and 28, God wanted us to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for us, for us Gentiles, because we're Gentiles, we're not Jews. And this is the secret. Christ lives in us. And this is what gives us the assurance of sharing his glory. I want to just remind us all of this today, that Christ lives in us. And Paul said, forget everything else but this. Jesus Christ lives in you. And so you will share his glory. Listen, this is what we identify with. As a church, Jesus is who we rally around. Jesus is the one who gives us assurance. Jesus will have the final word. Yes, yes, we do our part in this culture. We stand up for what is right. We stand up for what we believe. More importantly, we stand up for Jesus. We let our voice be heard. But ultimately, we do not let these things divide the fellowship of the church. We let Christ and we let his love unite us. We are the family of God. Jesus is the head of our household. And so we want to live in a way that best resembles Jesus. And that is called oneness. Would you pray with me today? Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today for your amazing love. We thank you first, Lord, for loving us so much that you sent Jesus. You sent Jesus to pursue us. You sent Jesus to go to the cross to die for us. You sent Jesus to rise from the dead for us. And you sent him to bring him back to yourself in heaven. And you're going to send him to us again. 
He's going to come again. He's going to receive us to himself. And Lord Jesus, we keep our eyes on that glorious hope that one day Jesus will return. And so, Lord, we live out of that glorious hope. We don't live out of the hopelessness that the world lives in, out of this sense of being hopeless, being caught in the culture. Lord, we're a part of this world, but but we keep our eyes on you, Jesus, because we know that you're going to make things right in the end. And so we glorify you today by this one thing that you've asked us to do, and that is to be one like you and the Father are one. And so, Jesus, it's our prayer today that in the midst of all of our differences, in the midst of cultural differences, in the midst of different values, different perspectives, in the midst of this highly charged emotional atmosphere that we find ourselves, so many different ways to lean and so many different choices to make. God, we pray that our choices would be made out of love and not out of fear, that we would love one another and that we would choose to understand one another. Even though we don't agree, we would understand and that the greatest of the things that you gave us would be love. And so we glorify you with that today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. We're going to close with one more great worship song that that is designed to draw us together into oneness. We invite you to please stay and please be a part of this last song of worship, uh, sort of as a prayer over our church and over our culture. So let's worship him together.